We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. The love combined, this is the blood lasting of caressing tongues. The savage yearnings of a thousand years. Whatever mistakes, for instance, that I've made in the past or whatever mistake I make, because we're human and we err, I have, as long as I'm alive, I have a chance to redeem myself. I have a chance to correct it. And I believe that with everything, because we're made to regenerate, life regenerates. So um, I believe that we as a nation have come to this place that we're at, not to die, but to grow to a better place. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 156, Planetary Postcards, Bongoe Jamini. Eswatini in Africa. Welcome everyone to another edition of Planetary Postcards here on the SIL podcast. Tonight we have a special guest from the continent of Africa. Bongewe Jamini lives in Mangayani in the kingdom of Eswatini, formerly known as Swaziland, in southern Africa. Although she has lived for a long time outside of her native land, she still loves her country. She loves its natural beauty and its amazing cultural characteristics. Bungewe is an artist who expresses herself through music, fashion, poetry, writing, and food. Currently, she is setting up an NGO dealing mainly with food security because the people of Iswatini are in the midst of a profound food crisis, even with ample land and water to work with. Due to systematic oppression by government and the absolute monarchy, one of the only ones left on the continent, the people feel powerless and depressed, and they are currently in a state of emergency. Anger that has been a long time in coming has erupted in the streets, resulting in many casualties. But Bongewe believes in the evolution of life, in who we are as humans, individually and collectively. She believes in truth and justice, equality and organic living, and she is a believer in Christ. Bongawe says that, quote, everything in its time is beautiful. Life gives us the chance to heal, to correct our wrongs, if only we are willing, unquote. Bongawe Jamini, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the SIL podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much, Harry. Hi, it's a pleasure. Hi, Peter. So, Bongawe, let's talk about you first, if we may, and then get to the situation in Eswatini. You were born 47, okay. roughly, years ago in what was then known as Swaziland. What was life like for you as a child growing up there? As a child, it was lovely. It was, um, I grew up sort of in an isolated place because I grew up in sugar country, like a little village where people are there because of the sugar company. So I grew up outside of the main village where everybody stayed, sort of surrounded by bush on one side and a nature reserve on the other side. So yeah, it was lovely. And I used to go to my grandmother's for school holidays. So a lot of nature. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about your formative years, including growing up in a gender biased culture, which you describe as insane inequality? And 
What was it that eventually made you decide to leave your home country? As a child, I don't think I realized the inequality. You're a child, you don't really know. And um, you're raised in a way that it's like that's how things are supposed to be, right? I mean, as a child, I remember that sometimes I would think, like, my brother has more favor than me. Mm. But then he was younger, so I thought it's because he's a baby, because I'm six years older than him. But um, as the years continued, as you grow older, I remember when I became a teenager and um, the man would call you, like an older man. Um, So we're raised to be respectful. Like, so if an older man calls you, you go, you don't question it. Mm. And then they'd start making passes at you. And I remember I'd get Mm. so upset because we are raised to respect them. Yes. You know, he's male and he's older. But then he makes a sexual pass at you and the confusion in your head. And I remember how it used to really upset me, mm. but I didn't know what to do about it. And then I just started to not go if they called me. So it was things like that that would now bring that sort of awareness that something's not quite right with the scenario. Um, right. Yeah. So, but it was different things, really. I mean, looking back now, the women carried a bulk of the work, really. Yes. Okay, with my grandmother, she was a gardener. She was a very hardworking woman. And she did things, and she was very productive and very innovative and ahead of her time. My grandfather was a soldier. He was working, so he was living somewhere else. He had four wives. So he didn't live with my grandmother. So anyway, he would come by and looking back now, the way he would be treated when he came, which we thought was normal. I think also because he didn't really live with my grandmother. So when he came by, it was like very special occasion. Plus the fact that he had almost chief-like status in a sense because of who he was in the area Hmm. and um, where my grandmother's home is, that whole valley is his children and his people. So you didn't question why he was treated with such reverence, really, you know, Mm -hmm. because that's how it was. Yeah, so different things like that. And then there were things that happened in my childhood when I was quite young that also flipped my head, dramatic things. Actually, I'll just mention it. So I was sexually abused as a child. I think just before I hit puberty and... When you look at Swaziland now, I think it's like South Africa. That is very rife. It's one of the biggest, most horrible things. Rape and sexual abuse of children. It happens too much. Yeah. It's insane. So it's all those things because men feel entitled right. to women mm-hmm. because they're raised to understand that they're superior and they're entitled to women. Women are almost like some kind of a possession. It's so terrible. yeah, basically... One of the reasons why I left, and then as a teenager, in my last year of high school, I got raped. Mm. So I learned quite early that men are to be feared and men are not to be trusted at all. That whatever they want, they just take. If I may, I know it's uh, very personal and you don't have to answer if you don't want Mm to. I'm trying to understand your situation and whether or not you felt comfortable even bringing it up. Or sharing it. So at the time, um, what I did is because I was in boarding school. So when it happened, I was at school. So basically, I left and I went to a friend's house. The police found me. Some women found me and the police found me and they took me to the hospital. At the hospital, they took forever because it was evening and Mm -hmm. the doctor never came. And I just wanted to wash, you know. And so some friends of mine came and got me and I went to a friend's house. 
and just sort of stayed there. And then eventually I went and told my mom what had happened. What was yeah. her response? Um, it was <laughs> it was hard because she was more concerned about the fact that I wasn't at school because this was like my last year of high school. So it was second term. So at that time when I was telling her this, I was supposed to be at school right. in class. So for her, her reaction was that, um, yeah, she didn't respond well. Yeah, it's terrible any yeah. which way you look at it. But what I'd like to do is sort of flip this to a positive element. I'd like you to talk about the role of women beyond that they work harder than men in many ways, but the spiritual role of women in how they teach their daughters about life. Any lessons that you've learned from your female family that you could share? Oh, I'm grateful that I was raised by women because there was my grandmother, yes. there was my aunts and um, my mom. In our culture, I think generally in African culture, there is that whole thing that a woman is made to grow up and if she's lucky, some man will choose her and, and make her a wife. Yes. Um, there's actually a saying in, in Siswati that says men will say that they make you respectable. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <Dear>. <laughs> Yikes. When they marry you, they're making you respectable. <laughs> so, um, I know it's insane. Yeah. So anyway, in my family, my aunt and even my mom, my mom got married quite late. My aunt, one aunt also got married quite late. The eldest aunt never got married at all. So there was never that thing that you needed a man. Right. You needed someone to make you respectable. We didn't need that in our family. So there were only strong women around me who taught me just by being that I could do whatever I wanted to do. So I never questioned that. I never at any point felt like, because with a lot of girls, when they hit their 20s, there's that pressure. With a lot of African girls, there's that pressure. Oh, my God, I must get married. Oh, my God. It's like the social pressure is insane. But I've never had that in my life. Hence, at 47, I'm not married, which is just not a thing that happens, really. Yes. You know, I'm not married. I don't have a child. Sorry, Bongoya, but yeah. are you treated differently in your wanderings mm -hmm. through the culture as a result of that? Well, I suppose in the tiny details in the sense that when you're not married, people sometimes don't treat you like a grown-up. Right. Mm. You understand what I mean? Yes. It's, <laughs> like, it's almost like you haven't qualified to be a grown-up yet. You are an artist of music, fashion, poetry, food. What role do the arts play in Eswatini culture, would you say? And are artists supported there? I think originally, culturally, we're very artistic. We have the most beautiful music and dance. Mm. So that's done a lot here, the traditional cultural art, in a sense. So we have like these different ceremonies where song and dance are really the biggest part of them. And women have their songs, men have their songs and their dance, everybody. And it's beautiful. And our traditional dress is all a part of it. And it's very colorful and beautiful. So we have umsanga, which is the reed dance. And so if you would look that up, you would see all the beautiful um, dance and singing and da-da-da-da. 
and there's also a lot of handcraft as well. So there's a lot of making of beautiful things, grass mats and clay pots and things like that. So it's like functional art. But then with the contemporary art, I think maybe in more recent years, it's not been supported. Mm. We have a Ministry of Arts and Culture, but really, oh my God, rather than supporting the artists, they really sort of do the opposite. And then they choose their teacher's pets, if I could call it that, and they support those. But it's generally just artists are sort of not really supported at all. Financially, even to just get work here, it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. And when you do, like when the corporates, for instance, do hire artists, you can see that for them, it's like you're the help and you should be grateful. Right. Is that one of the reasons you decided to leave uh, your country and work elsewhere? Yeah, but generally I think I left because growing up I always knew I wanted to sing and I knew that the opportunities here were very limited. And so I went to Joburg to go to music school Mm -hmm. because there was no art school here. So I went to to go to music school and then I just um, found the scene so much more open in Joburg and I stayed. And then at some point I went to Mozambique because of the same thing that I found the scene, the opportunities. One, you're respected as an artist. Two, you're able to make a living. Yes. And Joel Berg was Johannesburg you're referring to. Yes. Right. You say you're a believer in Christ. Yeah. How do your spiritual beliefs influence whatever art you're creating? How does that impact it? It's a hard question, I know. It's like, how, do, how does yeah, your, how does your I, spirit infuse is. your arts is the question. <laughs> I like it because it's making me think a lot because um, my spirituality mm-hmm. is a very, very huge part of everything that I am, you okay. know. So in every way it colors it, I suppose. One of the things that I've, especially in more recent years, one of the things that I've learned to do is to sort of meditate. Say, for instance, I need to write a, a poem There's a place that I go to inside of myself, in my spirit. My spirit is governed by the spirit of God. And so I'm able to go to the spirit of God to seek the inspiration, the words, Mm -hmm. and basically then give out that. Yes. Yeah, that makes total sense. I totally understand (laughs) being a writer. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Can we turn to what's happening now in Eswatini? I mean, can you talk about the roots of this difficult situation in which there are many young people protesting in the streets, some of whom have been killed by the military forces? What are the roots of this, of why this is happening? It's been bubbling for a long time. Because our king has not been treating the nation well, it's been a very oppressive time under the current king. And Swazis are generally quite gentle. I think just people have become so angry. And there's something about feeling powerless. I mean, Swazis have felt so powerless for such a long time that I think now they're just trying to keep the peace in a sense. It's not not been real peace. It's just silence. It's been silence. Mm -hmm. They've realized that it hasn't helped them. Instead, they've been dying inside as a people. Uh You know, and so in our character as a nation, we've been dying from all the oppression and the silence, the fear, because the reason for the silence is because you can't speak out because, you know, there are consequences. Plus, I think it's time. I think we're living in a time when a lot of stuff is just rising to the surface. 
the times that we're in. Yes. It looks horrible when you look at the world, it's like, oh my God. But it's stuff that's been there that's just now coming out of the closet, I suppose. It's been fermenting for a long time. So just for it, a long time. Now staying in that same line for clarification, along with what Harry just asked. So who actually rules Eswatini right now? And is it the king or the prime minister and his government? And how would you describe the current rule and general state of the kingdom? Okay, right now at this moment, because of what has happened with the uprising, if I can call it that, I don't know if anyone is ruling. Hmm. Do, yeah. do you understand? Yeah. Because what happened is that our last prime minister died. He got COVID and he died. Uh -huh. And they put the deputy prime minister to hold the fort up until whatever. So during this period, while the deputy prime minister was holding the fort, there were the riots and the rising up of the people. And the king had been silent for quite a while. We were kind of like leaderless. Right. Because the king, him and his mom, the queen mother, when COVID hit, they just went into some isolation and they were like really silent. For a long time during the COVID thing, we didn't hear anything from the king, like at all, about COVID, about what the plan was. We were hearing from like ministers and the prime minister at the time because he was still alive. But then the king and, and his mother were just silent, which was so odd because mm. they've always been very present. And then there's a boy that died. He was killed by the police. He was a law student at the university. And that sort of sparked mm. things. Mm -hmm. His name was Tabani Nkomonye. That sort of sparked things because apparently the cops shot at him, killed him, took his car and hid it at one of the police stations in Matapa. And then... When the family reported him missing, the cops said, oh, we don't know. We'll help you search. And yet the car had been at the police station the whole time. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. So then when this was found out, people just went crazy. It was like, what? So that, I think, was the thing that really sparked things off. And then the DPM, the deputy prime minister, because there were riots and things like that and marches, everybody was calling for justice for Tabani. And um, then the police also made a mistake during Tabani's memorial service. They went to the memorial service and started shooting at people, protesters, people who were there in support of Tabani and were not necessarily actively protesting. But then they started just, they caused chaos. When they were supposed to be there to be protecting people, yeah. they started harassing um, the public and were not even respecting the fact that this family is in mourning and this is his memorial yes. um, service. So yeah. anyway, there was that. And then at some point during that whole thing when there was all the unrest, then there was a thing that happened in Parliament where three ministers, I think they were speaking about the change in Swaziland, that there should be change, that it was time for change, because political parties were banned in Swaziland. I don't remember which year, but there was a law that banned political parties during the previous king's time. During all these years, there were no political parties allowed, none that were allowed hmm. um, legally. Right. 
or recognized, but they did exist, but they weren't recognized officially. And these members of parliament and I think ministers were speaking about that it was time to allow political parties and that we had to change the system of our governance. So that sparked off a certain debate. And we have a certain system called Dinghunza system. So there's all the, the, the chiefdoms. Mm-hmm. Where I am, there's a chief. Yep. Um, everywhere, areas have chiefs. And there's Umpagati, which is the chief's place. It's the chief's home, but it's also the place where if I have a certain something to either complain about or whatever I go to or report or whatever, I go to Umpagati. Right. So there's a hierarchy, obviously, and the chief that's the highest guy within that system. So then there was that whole thing that people should take their petitions to the Inkunta, which is like in your area, yeah. because it was COVID. So let's not go necessarily to the towns or whatever. Just go to your area and take the petitions there. And then the DPM, I think, made a mistake. I don't know if it was an intention or whatever, of saying that people were not allowed to take their petitions to their Dinkundla, which is ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. So where are we supposed to take our... Um, grievances. Our grievances, exactly. Yes. So yes. that also then added fuel to the fire. What do you think, Bongiwe, it will take to change the situation there in favor of helping the people of Eswatini? I mean, where does the help need to come from and what sort of help should it be? The way that I see it is the entire system needs to change. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been working. We need new leaders. Because the unfortunate thing is that the whole system is corrupt. So we need a whole new system. The whole thing's got to change. Now, I'm not one of those people who will say, oh, I'm socialist in my political leanings or whatever, because I see flaws in all the different systems that exist. There are flaws. Mm. But what I do know is that if just and righteous men are put in place Mm. of leadership, then the people will be happy because it's about the people. I think what becomes the problem, you can't put an individual or one particular group of people and say, you have all the power to rule Hmm. the rest of the people. It's very unbalanced. It's the people that are supposed to rule the people. They need to be the ones, because I think originally that's what, even with democracy, I think that's what was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily working out that well, but it's the people that know what they want. Yes. People that know what's good for them. Mm-hmm. We have a king and a queen mother. We have a prime minister who is chosen by the king, right? not by the people. And this is mm-hmm. one of the problems. When people were speaking during the thingy, they were like, we need to sit down and have a dialogue. And they were very clear about their demands. But the king came out of seclusion, wherever he was, and came out. And instead of addressing this, because it ended up that the leaders of the Southern African region, they were brought in and they came to do some fact-finding thing, which didn't seem to have gone well. And they were supposed to come back. But basically, they, they were trying to mediate. During all this time when all of this was happening, the king was silent. Our leaders were silent. 
they were brought in because the king was silent. And then he came out of his silence and ignored everything that the people had demanded and called, there's a thing we call Sibaya, where the king calls the people and then it's supposed to be a good thing. The people are supposed to then come and, and speak, basically talk to the king about what their needs are, what they'd like to happen. But normally it's just, the people going there to listen to what the king has to say. So anyway, um, so he called Sibaya at this time. I mean, right now it's, it's COVID time. So we're not doing large gatherings in the country. We're, we're not like countries that have been vaccinated and only a small percentage of the population has been vaccinated. Would you say that COVID has been largely responsible for exposing all the weaknesses that were already there? Yeah, it has. It has. How does COVID play into your ability to perform your art and also to run your NGO effectively? Well, the NGO I've only started setting up now because when COVID hit, I was in theology school. I've always wanted to study theology. And then um, as it proceeded and we saw that, oh, it wasn't going away. And I started studying online and I came to my mom's home and started a garden. And so it's only now that I'm setting up the NGO because of what I saw when I came to the rurals that people are literally starving. So with COVID, what was already a desperate situation for artists, not being able to make a living just made it worse. You know, some people Mm -hmm. tried with the online performances, but, you know, I mean, who's paying you? Yeah, it's not the same, is it? No, it's not the same. Not the same at all. It's not. It's not at all. Bongoe, I'd like to just for a moment stay with sort of your philosophy of life, because I'm going to say that quote again that you had sent to me, which was that you feel that everything in its time is beautiful. Life gives us the chance to heal, to correct our wrongs, if we only are willing. How do you apply this philosophy to your everyday life in Eswatini during what, after all, is a very challenging time? I believe that everything evolves. As long as it's alive, it evolves. Mm -hmm. Because if it's not evolving, then it's dying. Yes. You as an individual, as a human being, a society, anything that has life in it has to be evolving and changing or dying. So there's this saying, that general thing of, oh, oh, life is too short to blah, blah, blah. I've always said life is long. I feel like I've lived so many lifetimes Mm. because I've had so many different experiences. And what I've learned through everything is that whatever mistakes, for instance, that I've made in the past or whatever mistake I make, because we're human and we are, I have, as long as I'm alive, I have a chance to redeem myself. I have a chance to correct it. And I believe that with everything, because we're made to regenerate, life regenerates. So I believe that we as a nation have come to this place that we're at, not to die, but to grow to a better place, rejuvenate and renew and refresh and have Um, What I love about this time is it's brought us together as a people because one of the biggest problems was that our realities were so completely different. There's barely a middle class here, Mm. barely. Mm -hmm. Yes. So this has brought us together as a people 
we are now understanding that whether I'm living in my mansion in Chambeli or Dalrich or wherever, or I'm living in a mud hut in Mangayane, what happens in the country affects us all. So it's brought us together in that now we're moving. I mean, obviously there's the people who are still pro monarchy and whatever, and just feeling like let's just carry on as things were because they were benefiting from that system, right? The privileged. So yeah, exactly the privileged. But now we're calling, when I look in social media, we're calling that out as well. Swazis are saying, no, don't sit on your couch of privilege and say this. So it's really brought people together. Now we're the Swazi nation seeking for change. Mm. for ourselves, for our children and our children's children. Yes, yes. Spoken like a true leader, yeah. that's what a real leader would speak like, what you just said, <laughs> yeah. seems to me. Okay. And there's something else that you're saying which is quite poignant when you look at what's happening here to us and the, the developed countries in the West. One of the things that we're confronting now, which makes the news in one form or another all the time, is the fact that the middle class is disappearing. We have a whole new set of challenges because of it. And you've just described its existence in your own land. Because when I was listening to you talk earlier, it sounded very disjointed. You described your people as gentle. And some in the West may describe it perhaps as passive in the sense that they just assume benevolence and carrying human beings working together because this is the society that was primarily formed from a rural existence. And suddenly you punch in a bunch of people in a kingdom and a king and a monarchy that works to self-serve. And suddenly this passiveness requires something to break it. And you expressed it in the death of that individual that was uh, murdered by the police. And so maybe all these things that you're talking about, based on your spiritual beliefs as well, is just something that needed to happen. Yeah, I think more than anything else, what drove the sort of lack of rising up because the thing is when you were in certain circles we spoke of the injustices amongst ourselves we just were not speaking it out you see now i think it broke the fear maybe yeah. do you see yeah mm-hmm. it's something broke that ceiling of fear even though we were, we had been speaking amongst ourselves more freely as the years continued, one of the common things that they would say was, oh, there's um, soldiers dressed in civilians' clothes that sit in public transport and listen to what people have to say and blah, 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 blah. I don't know how true that is. So there was that thing of, oh, you can't speak too loud. Yeah. You, you, we can speak it amongst ourselves, but, you know, be careful. That silence in itself kills you. Well, the slaying of that student you mentioned, would that be one of the catalysts then that helped to break that fear? Yeah, but I think also when there's oppression, when there's abuse of power, the people get bolder and bolder in their abuses. Do you see what I'm saying? (laughs) You described it in your own personal life when you were growing up, male figures in your life. They got bolder because there yeah. was because there was no resistance. You were exactly you, you were intimidated, and basically the same thing is extended to your society. The intimidation exists in the air, and as long as there is intimidation, mm. people are fearful until, as is the case with most of us, something breaks where yeah. the loss that we're facing becomes worse than the fear that we're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I see it. I think 
that's very true. And I think one of the things that abusive or oppressive leaders forget is that you're dealing with humans. You're not dealing with a dog that you'll say sit and it sits and will always sit. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with it, mm-hmm. the human spirit. Yes. And at some point, because we are meant to have liberty, one of the things that God gave us as human beings is free will, our God-given right, free will. And if you take away my free will, at some point, something inside of me will say, no, you're taking away my choice, my God-given liberties. And at some point, I will react and rebel against that oppression. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's going on in the world right now with this whole COVID situation. The oppression comes in many different forms and people are fatigued and mm. many have broken and many have had enough. Yeah. And so what you're describing, mm. again, just my own thought on this, what you're describing in Eswatini, you're a small country, small situation, but I think that the whole world in various degrees and forms is experiencing exactly what you've described. It's crazy the length that the COVID thing, (laughs) it's insane. To watch it unfold is crazy. I mean, that whole thing with vaccines and if you don't have a vaccine, then it's just, it's crazy to watch the world. And especially because for us people from little countries, we're watching you guys in the West and we're thinking, what? Mm. What are you thinking? Please tell me, what are you thinking? Okay. You guys have your democratic systems, right, where mm. you have all these rights and your constitutions and your you know, constitutional rights. But COVID came along and that rug was just swept out from under you. It was like, whoosh, yeah. you know, and it's like, oh, you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do this. And the obedience, because mm. of the fear, because... In the beginning, I was paying attention, okay, COVID, COVID, COVID. And then I realized, you know what? If I carry on listening to the statistics and the news of COVID, I'll go crazy. So I just shut it off. Yeah. And I stopped following the whole thing. Because for me, it was this thing, the way that it's driven, it's like a campaign. Oh, be terrified. Be very afraid. And for me, it was like, no, I don't want to be very afraid. Mm. I want to live because yeah. we will make it through this thing. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people around the world are thinking exactly those same thoughts. Tired of the statistics and the fear mongering and that sort of thing. And people are getting out on the streets, as you may know, in the hundreds of thousands now around the world. It's a delight having you on this podcast because we rarely get real news out of Africa, mm-hmm. frankly. We don't get a lot about what's going on, mm. especially in smaller countries like where you are. We rarely hear anything. And so to hear your voice coming from there and to talk about what's going on, I think it's really important for people to hear and educate themselves to what's happening on the ground there. But in a sense, for me, I think... As individuals, we have different characters and characteristics and da 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 And I think as nations as well, mm-hmm. yeah. we have different characteristics and ways of being, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if I buy into the whole thing of whatever works for Jill must work for Jack. Do you understand? Yes. Mm-hmm. I think every nation, yes, they're general things. 
what is termed your basic human rights, I suppose. But then I think, I don't know how we run ourselves, because, okay, that's why we have different cultures, right? What I understand is that culture is our way of addressing our ways of being when we encounter a problem or whatever, we deal with it a particular way that works for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I believe in that thing of let's paint it all blue or let's paint it all red because every single person is unique and nations are unique in a sense. We're the same as people, as humans. Mm-hmm. My environment is not the same as your environment. Right. And I don't think that it should be the same. I love the diversity. Having traveled, I love different cultures and different ways of being. Food, I, I love good food. So food for me, when I go into a space, I love the different foods. I love the character of the peoples. I love the different art that we have. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I believe in a one-size-fits-all system of governance. And I believe that we all also then encounter our different problems. Different problems come to us because maybe different ways that we haven't dealt with certain things in a way that was going to bring us the right result. I think it's the same as individuals, right? Like for me, there's challenges that I've encountered because of not dealing with particular aspects of my life in a way that would bring me a positive result. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You really have so, been raised by women. Been... <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Very, I mean that in a very positive way, and it's my own particular bias, because I believe that women bring something to the table. I believe that we need more women in positions of, I don't like to use the word authority, leadership is a better word, that uh, yeah. take into account nature, Mother Earth, the spiritual aspects, the nurturing aspects, which you've described. And I say that loosely, but mean it, because I believe that you having been raised by many women, whom, by the way, you seem to respect, which is equally important, you don't fear them, Mm. you respect them. And when you live in Mm. a world where you respect and not fear, you have a completely different level of functionality. So that's my two cents on it. Mm, I love what you're saying. I do believe that more women should be put into positions of leadership, but I don't believe, okay, because now there's this whole thing in the world, which I find very unbalanced. It's like, um, oh, there's patriarchy and there's that whole thing of da 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 And then the feminism of, of, okay, me as a woman, I want to be, I don't know, the sort of idea of feminism of I want to become like a man. Mm-hmm. Are you talking more about inclusivity instead of divisiveness? Yes, because now here in the southern part of Africa, it's almost like gender wars in a sense, mm. where there's, oh, toxic masculinity. And then there's the men saying, oh, yeah, 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 to the women. There's no solution that we'll find as long as we're doing that. What we need to do, because this is how it was created to be, is work together. There's a reason why males and females exist. It's not one gender that's supposed to lead things. That's what creates harmony. There's something that Maya Angelou likes to say that nature abhors imbalance. And it's true. Up until we get that, it just won't go well. Yeah, well, you know, you are a woman after Peter's heart, I have to say. He's all about balance all the time. He always goes on about... (laughs) 
<laughs> finding balance. Doesn't, so doesn't mean I have it, but I aspire to it, yes. <laughs> yes. We should probably think about wrapping up this interview soon, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to share any if you have any websites or information that people can go to to learn about your NGO or your art and that sort music. of thing. Music. Music. Is there any place they can go to online, for example? Oh, I've been terrible with that throughout my years, really. Like, my online presence is pitiful. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Maybe that's a good yeah. thing. <laughs> I don't know if it is. They tell me it's not. You know, I've just gone for the experiences. There's a film for instance, that me and another girl, a Swazi girl, we were called Spirits Indigenous. We're a duo. And we did a soundtrack for a Portuguese film that was based on, I don't know if you know Mia Kutu. No. He's a writer. Yeah. So anyway, there's a film that was done based on one of his books. There's another one that they'll be doing that I'm also on. So we did the soundtrack for that. So my work is like scattered like that. You know, at least that's on because the film itself was online. But otherwise, I've gone for experiences. Whatever is online, I think it's, it's just there because it happens. I never made much effort. That's okay. This contribution mm. to the movie, is it something that's publicly available? It is, um, and it's not only one piece. I do the vocals, all the vocals for the soundtrack, and okay. yeah, then there's parts of our music. So basically, the film is called Mabata Bata, as in M-A-B-A-T-A, B-A, Mabata Bata. Mabata Bata, um, okay. Yes, and it's by Sol Carvalho. S-O-L, Carvalho. Okay. Uh, he's a Mozambique Portuguese director living in Mozambique. So they've recently just got in touch with me to do the next film. So he'd like me to come on to that and work with some musicians where we'll be using traditional African instruments because that's also been a large part of my career. That's what we did with Spirits Indigenous, that indigenous language and instruments. Yes. Where do we find this? Is it available on the internet? Would I be able to access this? Yes, I think if you type in the Mabata Bata yeah. and Sokar Valio, you'll find it. Fantastic. Listen, Bongiwe. <laughs> yes, I, to pause I, like I have to pause. Uh, listen, Bongiwe, this has been a great pleasure. And I want to uh, do a quick mm. shout out to my friend Croc E. Moses, mm. who put us in yeah. touch with you. The wonderful Croc E. Moses. We love him dearly. Thank you to him. And, and thank you to you for sharing so generously and so personally your time and your stories and giving us an insight into Eswatini. So listen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yes, for me as well. Their pleasure. Mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you. And all the best with your podcast. I think you're doing a great thing. I wanted to say when you were saying that you hardly ever get any news about us, we have always gotten news about the West. We grow mm -hmm. up knowing yeah. everything about you guys. So, yeah. So that's, we're famous. Uh, well, that's part of the, the imbalance. We need to learn more about yeah. people in countries like yours. Right. Thanks again, Bongiwe. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Thank Take you. care. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Ciao, Harry. Ciao, Peter.
The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.